sometimes we get stretched thin. So often we get pulled in many different uh, directions. I expect that you feel it. My, my, my sense of, of just feeling the room today, I feel that a lot of people who feel pulled in lots of directions stretch thin. Uh, sometimes it's through our time. Right? And so we, we say, ah, there's just not enough time to do all the things I'm trying to do with, with work or school and uh, the chores, uh, you know, uh, some sort of maintenance that has to be done on a vehicle or a bicycle or the house or time with friends and family, which is so good. Uh, time with the pets. Uh, our dogs tend to really like to chase the squirrels and you got to track them down, and, right? And, and it takes time and, and, and good time to do fun things, but there's just not enough time. And, and so then there's money. And so you spend your money on you know, groceries and gas and it keeps going up and medicine and vacation and savings and, and it just feels like it gets stretched through. And then attention, right? There's just, there's so many things to pay attention to uh, that, that my needs, others' needs, the trouble in the world, when we're pulled this way, it creates stress. And this stress is on top of just the challenge of living in the world today. We're tired from life and, and politics and the pandemic and, and our bodies that decay and war, and, and the list just goes on. And here to me is one of the puzzles. Sometimes... Following God just seems to add to the demands. <laughs> now, on top of everything else, I should really be trying to find time to pray and, and to read the Bible and to serve and go to life group. And, and money is short, and you know, but now as a Christian, there are more things. I ought to be more generous, and I should be giving in the church. And, and, and now as a Christian, there are even more things I should be paying attention to. And frankly, sometimes it feels like the Christian life just stretches us even more, <laughs> and it adds to the stress. Maybe you never think this, but you think, you know, Sunday morning would really be a nice time just to rest, right? Why not just rest because there's not enough time for things, and that would really buy me some extra time. <laughs> oh, but I really should do the, the worship service, right? Okay, so I'll do it, but where went that time of rest? Some of us really feel stretched in many ways, and for some of us, just one thing is enough. There's one burden in our lives, and it's just so much. And so the question today is, what is it that we are to do when we feel the weight of all that's on top of us? And so I want to pray and ask God to teach us his ways and especially to give us his peace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you are our wise and good Father. And we thank you for communicating to us through the Bible. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being present with us to open our hearts to help us understand and so we ask today that you would open our hearts to your ways and i ask today that you would bring peace to your people through your work through your ways we pray that you would speak and that you would cause us to joyfully worship you alone so we thank you that you will do this. We anticipate your work in our hearts today. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Title today is No Other Gods. Uh, we'll talk more about this drawing in a few minutes. We're in Luke 18. Uh, we continue in this journey through Luke, uh, and I encourage you to have that in front of you. Uh, we're starting in the middle of the chapter, Luke 18, uh, verse 18. 
And uh, just a, a set of verses there. Um, let me just give you a word to set the scene. Um, just before this story in Luke, what we recently looked at, uh, there were two things that happened. Uh, Jesus told about a Pharisee, the most highly honored people in society, and a tax collector, one of the most despised people in society, and they both went to pray. And this great surprise that the despised one was blessed. The one that everybody thought, oh, I wish they hadn't come close to the temple today. And Jesus said, no, that's the one I'm most impressed with. He's the one I will bless today. And then there was a story about these infants, uh, completely without honor in their society, who were brought to be blessed by Jesus. And his disciples were so good to to protect Jesus. They said, oh, Jesus is so busy. We need to protect his time and his attention. So keep those infants away. There must be somebody else who could do that job. And the surprise that Jesus welcomed and honored the infants. So Jesus honored the one who was most despised, and he welcomed the ones who were ignored. And so when we looked at this, this idea that that the love of God is only given, and it is freely given to those who know they don't deserve it, and who ask for it in Christ. So he gives his love, he gives his goodness to those who know they don't deserve it. I think today we see somebody who suspects that maybe he actually does deserve it a little bit more than this. And so here we are, Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. So stop there for a second. We're told that this ruler came. Somebody who was powerful. Later on we learn that this is somebody who was rich. And perhaps, perhaps, we don't know, but perhaps he's thinking when Jesus has just taught that he shows mercy to those who don't deserve it, who are, who are, who are looked down on in society. Perhaps he's thinking, well, what about better people like me? Because I'm, I'm a ruler and I, and I do what God says and I'm, I'm, I'm wealthy and people see that as the blessing of God. And he says, well, what about me? And Jesus raises this great question after he says, good teacher. He says, so why do you call me good? And he calls into question this basic assumption the man has is that he's good. And Jesus says, well, nobody's good except God. And then Jesus says, okay, you know the commandments. And uh, one of the fun puzzles with people who have been around the church a long time is to say, how many of the Ten Commandments can you name? Uh, Well, Jesus decided to name five. He didn't list all the Ten Commandments, these famous statements. He only lists five of them. And the man says, yep, I'm good. Doing okay on these, right? Not committed adultery, no murder, haven't been stealing no, I'm not lying. And yeah, taking care of my mom and dad, because that was very often, especially a financial way to care for the parents. He says, yep, I'm taking care of all those things. The next verse, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, 
he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus said to him, you still lack one thing. There's one thing that's missing. And, and, and perhaps perhaps it's selling, but perhaps the one thing that he was missing was treasure in heaven. <laughs> he was really good at these earthly things. Yeah, I did that, and I did that, and I did that. But he says, heaven's not impressed with what you've been doing. You are not putting in place a treasure in heaven. And when the man heard that this was the option, to follow Jesus was to get rid of his money, he was very sad. Now, this is a fascinating thing. In Luke 10, the identical question was asked. The identical question was asked. Jesus answered it differently. But what I want to highlight is the person responded differently. In that time, it was a debate. It was somebody trying to figure out how to trick Jesus and how to, how to win a debate. This man was not debating. This man genuinely wanted to inherit eternal life. He genuinely wanted that. And yet he found an answer that he did not like. And so we see in these verses this tragic choice of the ruler, right? That, that he wanted money plus God. Now he came confident of his own goodness. Yeah, I can tell you I've, I've been keeping these commandments. I'm a good person. I've been doing what God asks me to do. But then Jesus redefined goodness, saying, only God is truly good. Now, one of the fascinating things is, I kind of expect Jesus to say, oh, you say you're really good, huh? Well, let's talk to some people in your family. Let's talk to some people who know you and find out how good you really are. But, but Jesus didn't debate the goodness the man claimed. He seemed to accept that. But then he pointed to the goodness that the man lacked. And in particular, we know it is not good to value money more than people. And this is not a good thing, and we know that. right? Money is nowhere near the worth of people. It's not good to value money more than people. But it's much worse to value money more than God. And it turns out this man valued money more than he valued God. Because when he was given the choice, God or your money, he was very sad because he realized he wasn't going to get God. Because he wanted his money. And it's significant. He was genuinely sad. right? Other times people say, actually, I don't really care what God thinks. And I don't really need God. He really did value God. He wanted that to, to have this eternal life. He wanted that. Yet at the same time, he wanted his money just as much. And so we see here that this, this key that Jesus teaches is following Jesus requires releasing all our money. And if you're like me, we think and we hope maybe that was just for him. <laughs> maybe Jesus isn't talking to all of us when he says that. He just says to him, you've got to get rid of your money, right? But Jesus said earlier, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. He says, so if you don't give up everything, you can't be my disciple. Right? So according to Jesus, every disciple is required to give up everything. And we think, oh, I was sure hoping there was a way out of this. <laughs> but I wouldn't have to do that, right? I wouldn't have to go that route. Now, I do want to say, and we'll talk more about this, usually God asks us to keep taking care of much of it. 
Right? So usually we say, okay, God, it's yours. And he says, okay, but now would you take care of it for a while? I'm not going to take it all from you now. I want you to take care of it. But I want to highlight, according to Jesus, every disciple is required to give up everything. Now, why would that be? Well, one way to define a God in our lives is someone or something that controls us. Right? A God is what it is that makes us worry. Right? So I say, what are you worrying about? And you say, well, here's a list of things I'm worrying about. Well, that's a form of a God because it has the power over your soul. What is it that makes you angry? Well, that's probably a God. What is it that makes you sacrifice your time? Makes you sacrifice relationships? Makes you do things you don't want to do or things you know we shouldn't do? It's probably a God who says, I'm going to control you in this, right? And here's what God said, the first of the Ten Commandments, no other gods. No other gods. This is a requirement, right? No other gods. And it turns out this ruler had a god, and it was money, because his money said, don't let go of me, and he wouldn't. His money said, you can't let go of me. I have to be a part of your life. And he listened to his money and said, okay, even when that meant he couldn't follow Jesus. So Jesus said to the ruler, your money controls you, and you can't have other gods and still follow me. As long as your money controls you, you can't follow me. Well, so then verse 24, Jesus looked at the man. He looked at him. He looked at this very sad, rich man. In in other accounts, the man leaves. But in in Luke, we're not told the man leaves. We're just told he's very sad. And while he's there, Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Well, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus said it's impossible for this man to be saved, humanly speaking, but he says it's possible with God. This man who who didn't have a way to fit through this needle, and Jesus said there's no way except by God. So I think Jesus is teaching here that only by God is anyone delivered and saved from other gods. Right? So the people in that day, they assumed that a good person who does good things, who is rich, who is healthy, who is honored by people and is religious, that person is the closest to God as you can get. Those are the people to say, okay, they're really, really good. God will be pleased with them. Right? And, and sometimes we'll see somebody like this and we say, wow, they're going to get a lot of reward in heaven. Right? They're good people. Now, he tells this wonderful illustration about the camel and the eye of a needle. And the camel was their biggest animal in Palestine. And I think this is fascinating. For the Jewish people in Babylon, they had a very similar uh, parable, similar illustration that said you can't get an elephant through a needle. Because in Babylon they had elephants. But in Palestine, the biggest animal was was a camel. And the eye of the needle, this is the smallest hole. Jesus said, take the biggest animal you can imagine, the smallest hole you can imagine. When you can put it through there, then you can be saved. <laughs> and they said, but then nobody can make it. Now, you may have heard 
the story about there being a gate in the wall in Jerusalem that's called the Eye of the Needle, which is a very interesting idea. We have a kid's book that beautifully illustrates this camel getting down low and taking everything off. Turns out that the earliest evidence there is of a gate being called the Eye of the Needle is about a thousand years after the Bible was written. (laughs) So it's a really creative, interesting thing to say, but it seems that there's no evidence that's what Jesus meant. What he meant is imagine a camel and imagine a needle with that little eye in it. Try and get the camel through there. That's what it's like for a rich person to be saved. Jesus said, you can't do it. You cannot do it. But God can. He said, only by God is anyone delivered from other gods. Only by God is anyone saved. You can't make it work out by squeezing and pushing and trying So then Peter responds in verse 28. Peter said to Jesus, well, we've left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Peter says, seems that God has been doing a good work that that we have left. We've left our careers. We've left our homes. We've left our connections to come and follow you. It's left pretty open. We've left what we had. Jesus then makes it really, really challenging in that culture, especially when he says, in all the different ways he can, you're going to have to leave people to follow me. Right? Your wife your brothers and sisters and parents and children. He says, all the ways to talk about the immediate family, he says, that's what you have to leave. Not just your house, but that too. But your family, your connections. You have to do this for the sake of the kingdom of God. And he says, if you do that, there is reward for that. And the reward in the age to come, this is what it means to inherit eternal life. Right. So Jesus says that, that, that those who leave all, to follow Jesus, will be rewarded. And it seems that Peter says, yeah, we've given away our values to follow you. And Jesus says, even your closest relationships have to be let go. And this is radical, right? In a society that, that, my own experience growing up in, in, in the U.S., in Michigan, to say, you know what, I feel called to leave all my connections and go somewhere else and do something. And people say, well, that's so cool. What a neat thing that you can do that. But in that culture, what a shameful thing to leave your parents, to, to, to break from your connections. And Jesus said, yes. And, and, and he says, well, if you'll do that, then you will receive some things in this age. And I think what he expresses is what the church is meant to be. So when people genuinely do have to leave family connections for all sorts of reasons, he says, this is what the church is meant to be. a place." Where where there are new mothers and fathers and, and sisters and brothers and kids in a different way than the biological family, but this is what the church is meant to be. Those who leave homes, they have new connections, they have new ways that they're provided. And he says, if you do this, then in the coming age, there's receiving eternal life. Jesus says, if you leave all to follow me, there's reward in that, in this age and in the age to come. But he says, follow Jesus. And follow Jesus, even if it means leaving others. And now here, Jesus decides to tell his disciples where he's headed. So verse 31, 
Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. (laughs) This is the third time in Luke Jesus has told about going to Jerusalem, and this time has more details of the horror that was before Jesus talking about the the act of attack and shame and, and, and just showing in every which way that he was losing his life in the worst way. He says, this is where I'm going. The disciples didn't understand. I mean, clearly they understood the words. They could say, you know, could you write down what Jesus just said? And they probably could write it down, but they say it's like nonsense. How are we to understand what this means? I think it's significant that this comes right after what Jesus has just taught. Because following Jesus means releasing everything else. He says, this is what it is to be a disciple. Follow me. He said to the rich man, get rid of your riches and follow me. And here's what Jesus did. He released every earthly value to obey the Father. Everything of earthly value he let go of to follow God, to follow his Father. And Jesus said, that's what disciples do. You're going to follow me. I love the fact that it says the disciples couldn't understand this. I love that. Because it shows that we have a God who understands the struggle of making sense of this. Right? These disciples, in one sense, they were slow learners, but they had a gracious teacher. Jesus kept teaching them and showing them. But I think there's a reason why they were blocked from being understanding all of this. And that is... They probably would have quit right there if they knew what was ahead in Jerusalem. (laughs) If they knew what was ahead, they may very well have just said, no, we're done here. We we can't do it. Because they were so lost once it did happen. They needed to grow. And God gave them time to grow. And and so I'm convinced of this as as we, we step into what this means for us is that God reveals our other gods to us over time. Right? When somebody becomes a Christian, the joy of saying, I'm going to turn to Jesus, and it's fantastic, and it's a joy. But we don't know at that first step what all it's going to mean, <laughs> what the things are that we're going to have to step away. Some people have a better understanding than others in that. But I expect that God's deeper work in my heart and in yours is still to come. Right? Because we're slow to understand, and we have a gracious teacher. He takes time to help us see so what a fascinating and challenging passage, right? The, the tragic choice by this ruler who says, I want eternal life. Show me how, Jesus. And Jesus says, get rid of your money. And he says, I don't think I can do that. And Jesus says, you know what? Yeah, it's not surprising. Only by God is this going to happen. But those who do follow Jesus, letting go of earthly values, he says, there's going to be reward for that in this world, but even more so in the age to come. Because this is Jesus' journey. He also laid down all of these things. He let go of the earthly values and now has been raised to a place of highest possible honor. I think what we see in this section is that the kingdom of God is for those who recognize God as the highest king and recognize God as the highest king over every part of their lives. That's what the kingdom of God is for. 
right? It's, it, this is a place where people live who say God is the king over everything, over every part of my life. He's king. That's what it means to be in a kingdom, right? Being a citizen of a kingdom is having a king. So being a citizen of the kingdom of God is having God as king. So I don't know if you've ever had conversations with people who say, or perhaps you have thought it or think it, I think I'm good enough. God will accept me because I'm good enough. But can you see now, being good enough completely misses the point. The question is, do you have God as your king? Right? You can be really good and have nothing to do with the king. To be a part of the kingdom is to have God as king. So uh, one of the traditional vows, uh, at least in the West, related to being married, is this expression, forsaking all others. So a marriage, stepping into a marriage says, forsaking all others in order to love this one. Forsaking all others. Now, it doesn't mean you no longer have any friendships with anybody. Right? Like, oh, of every relationship, now it's just the two of us forever. Well, this is what it does mean. This relationship overrides and guides every other relationship. Right? Every other relationship now has to make sense in light of this one relationship. That's what it is to step into marriage. Well, would God expect anything less than that? We say, oh God, yeah, it's great that I've got you, but I've got this other stuff on the side I'm going to hang on to, and you don't really have much to say there. Being a citizen of the kingdom of God is having God as king. Okay, so we come to the drawing. I don't know if you can see what's, what's happening here. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of stuff on the dock, and we've got a ship that's pulling away, and the ship is going to the kingdom of God, and somebody's in trouble, <laughs> right? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We cannot stretch far enough to continue to hold on to God and our other gods. We just can't do it, right? Whoever holds on to two masters will end up falling. You're going to grab one or the other, or you're going to fall in the middle and be destroyed. So here's a statement that's so helpful to me in in understanding this this ruler uh, that says, to receive the treasure he wants... The ruler must give up the treasure he has. And he had this treasure of money. And he says, well, I want the treasure of God and the kingdom of God. The only way to get that is to let go of the treasure he has. And he didn't want to. So here's an odd observation. Um, It's something I see in other people and I would question it, except I see it in me as well. And that is sometimes Christians are more stressed by life than non-Christians. Sometimes, it shouldn't be this way, right? I tell myself it shouldn't be this way, but sometimes I see Christians who are deeply distressed by the challenge of life, and, and sometimes I meet non-Christians, and they just seem so much happier and at ease with things. And I think, why would that be? And when I look at my own heart, I've come to realize it's because we're trying to hold on to our valuables while also trying to hold on to the kingdom of God. And that ship is pulling away. And so we're left being stretched further and further, saying, but I'm going to hold on to this, but I want to hold on to that. And the people who just say, the kingdom of God, I don't really care about that, but this dock, it's a nice place to be. (laughs) And they tend to be pretty okay with that. Now, it's problematic to stay there, 
But for now, it seems okay. The people who got on the ship and said, forget the dock, I want the ship, they're happy and at peace, right? This is good. The people who are most stressed in life are the people who are trying to hold on to the dock and hold on to the ship, and they keep getting farther apart. And the, and the reverse of this is that there is great freedom that can come by releasing our values and clinging to God. So, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Right? This, this, this thing that goes on to the, the cattle that says, here's how you are going to do the work of the farm and, and be yoked to me. The yoke was a symbol of the demands and the requirements of God. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So why is it that we so often feel like this is such a heavy burden and I don't know how to get through it? Well, I think I know one of the reasons. Again, I see it in myself. Maybe it's helpful to you. But his yoke is only easy when we take off other yokes. When we let go of other valuables, right? Wearing two yokes is a terrible idea. And this man was trying to do it. He said, I'm going to wear the yoke of the kingdom of God. I want that. But I also want to wear the yoke of money. And this is a terrible idea. It's being tied to a ship and a dock, and it's going to tear you apart. A genuine disciple can only wear one yoke. That's what Jesus said. If you want a yoke that is easy, that is light, Let go of the other yokes and only come to this. Now, wealth is especially problematic. So here's another wonderful observation. Lepers and blind people in the Bible, when we see them, people with leprosy, those who are blind, they really want to be set free from that which inhibits them. Jesus, have mercy on me. Cleanse me of my leprosy. Jesus, have mercy on me. Open my eyes so I can see. They want it. Rich people usually don't want to be delivered from their wealth. Oh, take my money away from me. No, we say, oh, would you save me? But could you leave the money there too? Because that really is nice. right? Rich people usually don't want to be delivered from their riches. This is true of everything that seems like riches to us. We say, I'm going to hold on. right? Whatever it is that's on the dock, we say, but I'm going to hold on to that. When what's on the dock is awful to us. We're glad to let go of it. Leave behind my guilt and my shame. Leave behind the things that that are such a burden to me. But boy, I want to hold on to the parts that I like. But you notice, there's something else that's different in this picture. You notice what's there? There's a net. And this is the good news. The good news is that grace catches us when we fall in doing this over and over again. Because here's what we must not do. Make releasing our riches be yet another law we have to obey. Right? Well, we could get into the kingdom of God if we let go of our riches. This is why saying there's a small door that we can get through if we'll just get rid of our riches doesn't work. Because that says now we can do it. We could get through it if we'll let go of our riches. (laughs) But Jesus says, no, it's impossible to do this. You need grace. We are called to do what people cannot do. We're called to let go of these gods, but we're tied to them. We can't do it, but God can do it in us. This is the great hope, not that we get the courage to say, now I finally picked only one God. The hope is we have a God who says, I can do it for you. Will you trust me? See, the kingdom of God is for those who recognize God as the highest king over every part of their lives. 
And the reality is that submitting to none but God as king brings great peace. So I want to tell you one of my favorite stories. Um, it's a story about a missionary who loved pineapple. Um, he was a missionary in Dutch New Guinea, and he loved pineapple. He went off into a tribe that didn't have all sorts of things in the modern world that he liked, but there he was able to grow pineapple. And this was a luxury to him. He loved it. He loved the people, but he loved his pineapple. There's just one problem. The people in this tribe that he was working with, well, they liked pineapple too, and they kept stealing his pineapples. (laughs) They kept stealing them, right? No matter what he did, they would steal them. And when they would steal his pineapple, he would get angry. Oh, he would get angry with the people. He'd find ways to catch them in the act and, and tell them such a bad thing they're doing. And he'd get angry, and then he'd feel terrible. And he'd keep promising God, okay, I, I'll stop getting angry, but you've got to stop them from stealing my pineapples because those are so valuable to me. God, you've got you to gotta do this for me. And so he's, okay, but I won't get angry. Yet they would steal again, and he would get angry again. And this went on for years, and it, and it hurt him deeply. It, it, it was... Well, at one point, all the people in the tribe left because he got so angry, and he was really happy because now he kept the pineapples to himself. Just the issue that there were no people that he, could, that he was supposed to be loving and helping to see. This went on for years. And then finally, he said, you know, God, I, I can't keep these pineapples anymore. It's killing me. It's ruining my life. And he finally said, God, you take the pineapples. I don't want them anymore. And he says he gave up his right to have pineapples. He said, I'm done. I, I would rather not have pineapples at all. And it didn't happen immediately, but he describes in this journey that he gained so much peace that the people thought he'd finally become a Christian. <laughs> See, he told people that when you know Jesus, there's this great peace that comes over you. And the people said, wow, it would be cool to meet somebody like that. <laughs> and finally, he said, I'm done with the pineapples. I don't want them. And he had such peace that people thought, wow, you've become a Christian. God has done something. Right? And, and, and he says that this idea that letting go of our valuables and clinging to God gives life. And so here's the great irony that he tells the story is that once his story was known, he'd go around and tell people about it. Everybody was giving him pineapples. He says, I'm tired of them. <laughs> I used to think I had to live by them. Now there's so many I don't know what to do with them. He said, you know what? When I finally realized I should give up my right to that which seems so valuable to me and just trust God, there's so much peace that comes. right? Because the kingdom of God is for those who recognize God as the highest king over every part of their lives. And submitting to no one and nothing but God brings great peace. So here's the application. It's very simple. It's to release our valuables to God. Right? Very simple and very complex at the same time. But let me just suggest a prayer. The prayer is, first, Jesus, I give you my, and then you fill in the blank. Right? And for this missionary, it was pineapples. For the rich ruler, it was his money. For some of us, it's money or the hope of money. I might not have money, but boy, that's what would define my life. And to let go of that. I give you my hope for money. I give you my possessions, right? And possessions could be all of them, or it could be a special possession, a a car or technology or whatever. Jesus said, how about you who have left your spouse? Now, I'm convinced Jesus wasn't saying some of you should be leaving your spouse. 
But maybe the relationship's going to be very different than what you think it would be for you. Or maybe it's giving up the hope of a spouse. Right? And it, not giving it up, say it'll never happen, but to say, Jesus, I give you that hope. Jesus, I, I give you my power or my hope for power. I give you my health, my hope for health. I, I give you my success or my hope for success or reputation or approval. I give you my desire for vengeance, whatever it is, to say, Jesus, I give that to you. It's been controlling my life and it's destroying me. I give it away. And then to say this, for what I hope that that would give me, I'll now trust you instead. Right? Because people don't want money. They want what money can give. They want what money does for them. And so what we need to say is, I'll give you my money and I'll trust you for what I hoped my money could give me. And so then the next phrase in the prayer is, if you take it from me, I will trust you to provide me. You will provide for me, right? Because sometimes, like this man, we say, I give you my money, and Jesus says, fine, I will take it. (laughs) And it's now mine. Right? And if you do that, we say to Jesus, I'll trust you to provide for me. You'll take care of me. And that's what Jesus said. If you give up family, you give up these things, I'll provide for you now and especially in the future. And then the next phrase is, if you leave it in my care, I will faithfully use it according to your will, because it's yours. Because I'm convinced often when we say, Jesus, I will give to you my money, he doesn't say, okay, empty the bank account. Sometimes that'll be the right thing. Sometimes he says, and I'm going to keep a bunch of this in your bank account. And we say, if you do that, it's no longer mine, it's yours. But while it's in my care, I'll faithfully use it according to your will because it's yours. So the idea is that sometimes we have things that we don't possess. So this is a, a, the, this famous and challenging chapter about marriage in 1 Corinthians 7 that says, you know what, in following God, it's very honorable for people to be single. And, and, and some people need to, to figure out how to trust God through this. And so he says, married or not, here's the challenge. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. And then these phrases really help me make sense of the rest of it. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. What he says is that sometimes we hand things over and we say, okay, now I give that to you, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, but would you hold on for, for a while? <laughs> you still have, you know, if you have a house, you still have the house. But hold on to it as if it's not yours to keep. Use things as if you're not engrossed in them because they're temporary. Someday, everything on the dock is gone behind us. We'll be in the kingdom of heaven. And those things that have seemed so valuable will discover we find such something so much more valuable in God. Because the kingdom of God is for those who recognize God as the highest king over every part of their lives. And when we walk the journey to submit to none but God as king, it brings a great peace. So instead of trying to cling to God along with everything else, and I don't know how often you've tried to do that. I've been living that this week trying to cling to something else and to God and saying, I can do this if I just work hard enough at it. 
What, he, what Jesus has done is called us to cling to God alone and to trust him for all the rest. And that's why Jesus says, those who don't give up everything cannot be my disciples. To say he is God, nothing else is. And we know that God cares for those who trust him. That's why Jesus says, no one who has left behind all these valuables, whether they're still in their possession or not, whether they're still a hope and a dream or not, they've said, Jesus, I'll give that to you. Anybody who's done that for the sake of the kingdom of God, no one who's done that for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. And so the question is, will you, will I trust him alone? So what I'd like to do is just take a moment for us in silence to reflect on this and to say, so where is it? Where's the pressure point today? Where is it that I realize today I want to hold on to something in addition to God? Walk through this prayer and then with this final phrase, and I will trust in your love and forgiveness when I fail to let go of everything except you. Because it is only by grace, by the miracle of God, that we can ever fit through the eye of the needle. And that is a work of God. So let's take a moment in prayer, and then I'll I'll wrap us up. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word and for teaching us. Jesus, I thank you for your teaching spirit. Please continue your work now in our hearts. As we continue in prayer, I just want to encourage you to realize that the things that we long for are really a longing for God. And when we accept lesser things to fill that longing, we miss God. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love. Jesus, we thank you for this teaching that is an expression of love that invites us into the peace, the joy of knowing your goodness. We give you praise, Jesus, because you did this very thing. You laid down everything, let go of everything, in order to follow the commands of your Father. And we thank you that by that, we have the hope of eternal life because you can do the impossible. You can deliver us from the things that hold our hearts. So we ask that you would help us to release to you the things that hold our hearts, that we would cling to you alone, and that in doing that, you would take care of us. Help us to trust you. And so, Father, for for any today who realized they're trying to hold on to the dock and hold on to the ship, and it has not been working, I pray that you would give the joy of entrusting themselves entirely to your love. We thank you. Jesus, 
Father, Spirit, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for calling us to give you praise above all else. Amen.